This season of Influencing Entrepreneurs is brought to you by the Entrepreneurs Organization of Charlotte. EO Charlotte is part of the world's premier network of successful entrepreneurs, embracing the unique qualities of the entrepreneur. Desire to build? Extreme achievement? Quest for new experiences. EO opens a new world for peers to learn from and inspire each other, leading tremendous business successes and a richer personal life. EO Charlotte, where entrepreneurs belong. Coming up on Influencing Entrepreneurs. I did not know that car crashes was a leading cause of fatality for teenagers. The thing I love, right, cars and, and my kids. John and James were killed in a car crash. And uh, immediately I started thinking, you know, well, I must be the most unlucky guy in the world. This could never happen to anybody else. And then I found out that at the time it was around 5,000 teenagers every year were getting killed in car crashes. After years of teaching entrepreneurship and consulting with multiple companies, I realized that when business leaders share stories of not only their successes, but their mistakes, it had a huge impact in the classroom. So I thought, why not document those stories? On this episode of Influencing Entrepreneurs, we'll hear from Doug Herbert, a drag race champion who took his love of driving and turned it into a nonprofit when he was faced with a personal tragedy. I'm Kazmer Ward, and this is Influencing Entrepreneurs. All right. Well, Doug, thank you so much for, for coming in and, and speaking with me today. You did. Absolutely. So uh, a background in NHRA motorsports. Tell me how you get into that. Well, uh, you know, when I was a kid, like my dad was involved in drag racing. Uh, well, hot rodding, right? Hot <laughs> rodding kind of started in Southern California. So my dad was grew up in Southern California. And, and after World War II, all those guys got together and and uh you know they wanted to go hot riding so they the first drag races that they ever had were actually at santa ana airport at john wayne airport in orange county and is this all sanctioned or is this just sanctioned, a group? the first sanctioned the first race. sanctioned okay yeah first sanctioned. so i'm sure before it's sanctioned the stories right. can be I mean, told the there yeah, yeah. The street, you know? exactly and at the end of the day what you know they want people to be safe on the roads right so that's really why they started the drag racing is okay let's get them up the streets get them to a track get some organization here and some safety going and and uh, uh you know that was kind of how that started so my dad was involved in those early drag races well as i was growing up i got to go to the drag races and see some heroes you know the snake and the mongoose and big daddy <laughs> and shirley muldowney and like wow you know these are so cool i want to race you know i want to i want to race them one of these days so, so how do you go, so you have this passion to to be in a racing but as a kid you start working at a, at a yeah, boat right. shop you gotta pay for it right exactly first thing right so i'm like how can i pay for this so so no uh generational generosity of you know no my dad's like <laughs> I, you know so fast forward a little bit when i turned 16 hey you know uh my older sister my dad bought her a new car right so here i turned 16 hey dad what kind of car am i gonna get and he goes how much money you got and i go i got like 300 bucks and then he goes you get a 300 dollars car what? You bought my sister car? <laughs> well, yeah, but you're a little bit different. You can make the money to go get the car, and I need to, I'm going to push you along to do it. And I was like, man, that's not fair. But what it did was it motivated me to get going, you know? And so that was kind of what I did. But working at that boat shop, I really learned a lot. Started sweeping floors, but then next, you know, uh, that was why I got hired for to sweep floors. Well, uh -huh. You know, as a kid, right? Was, yeah. I didn't know how to do anything. Then I started being the painter's assistant. And then I started being the rigger's assistant, the molders, uh, the mold maker's assistant. So I kind of, after a couple of years there, I learned everything there was about the manufacturing part of it, which was neat, fabrication and, uh, and- So in a small company like that, you get to play many roles, kind of see how the entire 
uh, company works. Exactly. Really. Yeah. Even in, you know, even involved with sales, right? Helping sales guys, uh, you know, to demo uh, driving a boat. You know, which boy, that's a lot of fun, right? You're yeah. A young kid getting out and drive a boat. So. I went from there and then it was, you know, working with fiberglass was kind of a pain really. So I went to, uh, I had an opportunity to go get a job at a hot rod shop. I was buying parts for this car that I was building, my $300 car, right? Right. So I'm going, building, you know, buying parts for this hot rod to get it going. And I saw Help Wanted in the window and I'm like, Help Wanted, this would be a cool place to work, hot rod parts. I probably get a discount buying parts, you know? Right. And so I ended up going to work at this hot rod shop. Do you have a little bit of uh, gravitas in the community just because of your, your father's? The problem that uh, that I had there was sometimes the expectation was a little bit high, but then also the guys that were, you know, around my age or even a little bit older weren't really around when my dad was racing. So there was the generation gap. It was like one generation missing in between. So the guy that actually owned the store knew my dad and, was, and so that kind of helped me at the end of the day but initially it didn't there, there's no free kid no free in. lunch at this point <laughs> right exactly right and uh so i worked at this hot rod shop for for uh several years and really got to know that business and um eventually the guy that owned the store he owned about a dozen stores he had a boating accident and lost his life in a boating accident and so about that time i made a deal with my dad and uh, he had a building that was empty that he was renting and the renter you know was just one of those things where the renters cycled out and uh i said dad you got the building let's start our, our own parts business over here let's, you know hot running stuff let's get back into it because he had kind of retired semi-retired out of manufacturing stuff he was probably uh i guess at the time he was probably six almost 60 years old so he was you know he, he was he was winding down. He didn't want to get into all that, you know, going to work every day and working hard and all that. He'd already been through that. So, so you grow up in this industry, seeing it, you have this dream to be behind the wheel, right? Yeah. yeah. And you're kind of, you don't have your target set to where that's exactly where you're going to end up, but you kind of start falling into the peripherals around that. How does that start keying into where you're going to end up where you saw as a child? Well, you know, I knew where I wanted to go, but I had no idea how I was going to get there, you know? And so the hardest thing with this drag racing is having the money to be able to do it. You know, right. it's, uh, you know, there's some racers that are sponsored racers. Right. So they've got other people supporting for, you know, promotional uh, you know, advertising, basically. And then you've got other guys that are, uh, you know, it's a hobby, right? Yeah. And they're, you know, and they're, they're spending the money on the hobby. Well, I didn't have enough money to be a hobby and I didn't know how to get sponsorship. So I was just kind of trying to figure it out as I went along. Um, so around that time, the, the business, uh, you know, was, was growing. Right. And, uh, this is back in the eighties. Mid, I guess we started doing the business in about 86, 86 or 87. So then by the end of the eighties, you know, business is going pretty good. So I actually bought a little dragster and was doing some racing, but just small time. And it's more of a hobby at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Do, do you see do you see your dream out there? Or are you just gonna play around for right now? Oh no, I knew exactly where you I wanted did, to you, go. You still, oh, you yeah. are still super focused. Oh, okay. I knew where I wanted yeah. to go, but I didn't know how I was gonna get there yet, okay. you know? So all I knew was, actually my whole life, I, I, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. The only thing that I've ever done when I, when I get bogged down and don't know what to do, well, let me just work harder. Cause every time I work harder, Yep. It just, you know, just happens, you know, right. that old thing, luck. What's luck? Well, right. luck is preparation and opportunity, yep. you know, and all of a sudden you make your own luck. 
Right. Well, the, the way you're even telling your own story, you're kind of like, well, I stumbled into this job and then I kind of, you know, you're kind of tripping your way there. But it also isn't by accident. It, right. It's I'm very in the right focused. Place and I was kind of, you know, around people that I needed to be around and so forth. And uh, so anyways, they're in, a, in, at, uh, in the early 90s, like 1990, I guess it was 1990. Um, I had now businesses has picked up pretty good now, I'm making some money. I said, you know what? I'm going to go top field racing. You know, I'm going to go race Big Daddy. We're, we're yeah. going to go do this stuff. And uh, started doing that. And it, and I realized pretty quick, okay, this is the full-time thing. And I'm not going to be able to beat those guys unless I'm doing that full-time or unless I surround myself with some people that will enable me to do my business and they can run the racing part. Right. So kind of uh, the first year or so was a struggling to figure out that balance, you know, and, and getting some people in place that were going to enable me to be a successful racing yeah. and also continue to run a business that I needed to do in order to support the racing. Right. So it was like, you know, the I, chicken I, and the egg. Well, yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so ended up uh, about that time I figured out, which is pretty easy to figure out and most entrepreneurs and most uh, successful business people figure out. In, you know, sometimes you have to do all the work yourself, but the best people are the ones that are able to motivate and inspire and get other people to see the vision about where we want to go and build that team to move forward. Because one person has a hard time doing that all themselves. I, I think that's the key is number one, having the right people, picking the right people, and then making sure they have the same vision of going to, you know, whatever the finish line goal is. Right. Um, so around that time, we started uh, getting around the right, right, uh, right places, the right people. In 1992, I won the uh, Top Fuel World Championship, and it was like, wow, you know, this is great. And did it, did it, did it seem like it was overnight, or did, was it like a long-fought battle to get there? When I got there, it seemed like, you know, the boy, that was a long year. This first year was struggling, right. you know, and then the second year was like, bam. So then all of a sudden, oh man, overnight, you know, but yeah. <laughs> it really wasn't overnight. It was years in the making. And then one really hard year right. that really motivated me to figure out what am I doing wrong? You know, right. you know it's racing, it's a, it's a business, it's the same thing, right? How, how do we get the right people in place, the right tools in place to make sure that we can be successful? It's racing, business, it's, it's the same thing. So, so you win that championship, you kind of, you know, you work hard to get there. Does the story end there? Or, or is it is no, it No, then you want to win my championship. Okay. You know? <laughs> so, so we ended up, uh, when it ended up uh, through the 90s winning four world championships. So it was, uh, you know, pretty successful uh, doing that. In the meantime, my business, I had some good people there that were building the business up, the racing parts business. Right. Um, and in the early 90s, my dad and I had a little bit of a tough period. I packed up and moved to North Carolina, which ended up being a really good move because North Carolina in the early 90s was every other garage had a race car. Right. You know? So it was a perfect place to have, have yeah. being in the racing park business. So that was a that was a good move and uh, was pretty successful to you know just a you know right time, right place, same thing, do it, you know, making right. a good move. So I, I do want to get to to breaks. But I, I I getting to breaks, let's talk about that first sponsor comes in snap on Huge success, huge failure. And well, it was, uh, how 17 does... years. I went. Uh, we were with them for 17 years, and it, and it started out with nothing. It ended up being pretty good. You know, it was, yeah. a, it was a good. Uh, there was a good business partnership. I think I did. Uh, you know, I gave them a really good return on investment for, you know, for what they were doing. So it was advertising dollars, basically, is what it was. 
and I was giving them a good return on investment. So that that was a lot of work though. Right. It was constant, you know, communication and always telling them the story. Hey, this is what we're doing. Is there anything? What can we do for you? You know, right. what can this team do for you to help promote your products and uh, get you into new places or, you know, whatever, make your people happy. So now, so now you're running a branding sponsorship entire model uh, through in motorsports, and it ends up leading. You end up starting a non for profit in based around driving, based around safe driving. How, how does that uh, come to be? Well, uh, so I had really no idea where I was going there. That was never my plan, never my intention at all. Uh, January 26, 2008, my two teenage sons got killed in a car crash. Um, you know, uh, I, I did not know that car crashes was a leading cause of fatality for teenagers. I didn't know that. You know, it's, I, I, you know the thing I love, right, is cars and, and my kids. Um, so just right up here in Cornelius, North Carolina, driving down Jaton Road, and they were going, you know, they were being dumb, right? They were being teenagers. I was a dumb teenager before right. too, right? It just, my, the consequences weren't as bad, uh, right. really at the end of the day. So uh, John and James were killed in a car crash. And uh, immediately I started thinking, you know, well, I must be the most unlucky guy in the world. This could never happen to anybody else. And then I found out that at the time it was around 5,000 Teenagers every year were getting killed in car crashes. And I thought, I didn't know that. And what, you know, I mean, driver's ed, I watched my son go through driver's ed. And it was kind of like, you know, same, I don't know what, when you were in school and went through driver's ed, it was the gym teacher, right? You drove around right. the block, you picked up donuts, you picked up his dry cleaning. Yeah. And it was like, okay, you're good to go. You know? Right. I'm like, at the end of the day, I really didn't know nothing about driving. Yeah. Uh, it was just, you were going to learn as you went. And, and you're, you're, you're well, let me ask this, you're, you're kind of dealing with this, this tragedy and, and it, it's easy to feel, oh, I'm so alone. This doesn't happen to everyone. How, how, how long do you sit with that? Cause that's very heavy on you to where you start finding out these facts and, and then where's the aha moment that, that you're going to do something about it? Uh, John and James were killed on a Saturday morning and on Monday morning, I went to their school. I asked the school, hey, hey, can we get all the kids together in the auditorium? Because I like to talk to them. And I got them together in the auditorium. I said, hey, all of you are gonna drive. Some of you are driving now, some of you are gonna be driving. I want to do something and teach you all how to be safer drivers. I know a little bit about driving. Right. We're gonna we're gonna teach you guys about being safer drivers. Yeah. And I didn't have any idea how I was going to do it or what I was going to do, yeah. but I knew about the same thing when I started out drag racing. I knew where I wanted to go. I didn't know how I was going to get there yet. So, so you got this heavy burden on you, and your first instinct is, I'm going to talk to this group of kids to make sure this doesn't happen again. Yeah, so like I said, the, the boys' car crash was on a Saturday. Monday, I talked to the school, and I knew that I was going to do something uh, to make sure John James' memory was going to live on. Right. And uh, the, the thing that hit me that... I knew that I could do was I could put some of my law enforcement friends together, my racing friends together, and we're going to teach them about being defensive drivers, right? About being safer drivers. So that was what we came up with. And does this just start as an idea, as a presentation? Because I, I, in no way are you at this point like, how can I make money off of this? You're, you're just thinking, how can I make, how can I make sure this doesn't happen to anybody? Right. It, it was never about making money. Right. It's never about making money. So, All it was about right then was making sure that 
another one of these kids didn't die in a car crash. Right. That was really, uh, that, that's all it was about. And I knew that I wanted to start, you know, I had money saved for, uh, to send my kids to college, right? right? Well, now they're not going to college. So I'm going to take my college fund money and I'm going to spend it to get this charity going so that I can help these other teenagers, their friends, uh, teach them about safe driving. And you even think about it at that point, like what we're going to do it as a charity built around these, these core concepts in this presentation and these safeties. When does it get big enough that you realize you need to start a non-for-profit organization? Within a within a week or so, I decided, hey, you know, we're going to have a charity dedicated to my boys that is going to do good in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I and I knew that we wanted to do driver training, but maybe we we're going to do grief counseling. Maybe we're, I didn't know exactly what uh, what we were going to be best at. I guess uh, so. I had to figure out what are we going to be best at. So towards the end of 2008, I put together a team. Uh, to teach driver training right. and we were trying to figure out what are we going to teach? Okay, well, let's go to DOT statistics. What causing, what's causing the car crashes? Yeah. So we knew there was a need for something. Right. We didn't know how to fulfill that need. So now we had to figure out how do we fulfill the need? Well, first we got to identify all the problems. Yeah. Let's figure out what are all the problems and then what kind of exercises can we do to train these teenagers to avoid those kind of situations. So really that was kind of how it started out. Hearing all of this, I, I gotta admit, it's so inspirational, but there's a question in the back of my mind because I think about me, because I don't think I'd be that strong. What are you doing, doing during this time, especially that first 12 months after the tragedy, to take care of yourself? Because... Uh, well, working on this was therapy for me. Okay. That was my, that was my therapy. Right. knowing that I had to do something to help these other, I didn't want another parent to get that phone call that I got right. the kids aren't coming home. I didn't want any of, the, any of my kids' friends dying in car crashes. Right. So that was what motivated me. I, you know, it was like, I got to do this. I got to make something happen. That was, that was right. my therapy, really. And that's what it was. So, uh, so it, st it starts becoming, uh, you know, within a year, it, it becomes this charity. How does it continue to grow? Because that's, 12, 13 years ago already. Yeah, so by the end of 2008, we we held uh, two training sessions and we trained about 50 families because mm -hmm. I required the parents to come too because mm -hmm. I figured out pretty quickly that where do kids learn their bad habits? From the parents. Yeah. Because, right, we're driving down the road and we're tuning the radio, messing with the GPS, you know, hitting the kid in the back seat, right. all these things. Okay, parents aren't setting the best example. So I wanted to make sure the parents are going to come to the class with the teenagers we're gonna sit through a little ground school and then we're gonna take the teenagers with one set of instructors in a vehicle and we're gonna take parents with another set of instructors in a vehicle. So it's as much to help the parents as it is for the teenagers, but also to, it's a little bit of a bonding experience too. Uh, you know, typically parents drag the teenagers into the class because, you know, they have to already have a driver's license or at least be 16 years old and have some driving experience before they come because what we're not is a driver's ed we're not right. driver's ed we're life-saving skills in a car and also making good decisions is another thing we talk about is right. you know how many uh how many teenagers have gotten in a car or been in a car with somebody and felt uncomfortable with yeah. the way they're driving i've been in a car with people and go whoa i yeah. don't want to be in this car yeah well we talked to him about what do you do when you're in a car and you're uncomfortable right hey you know you either step up and say, hey, I need to get out of the car. Or you say, if you don't want to be that bold, you say, hey, I'm really feeling sick. Uh, 
you got to you got to let me out of the car. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna toss my cookies here. A lot of kids will say right. that. If they won't say they're scared, they will say, "Hey, I'm getting sick." And you're dealing with a lot more than just driving. You're dealing with some of the hard decisions we have to make. That is somewhat of a counseling. It's character development. Right. Exactly. Because I think about my boys. Right. My older son was driving the car. I'm sure that my younger son was sitting there. James, he was scared. Right. But he didn't know. You know. Oh well, he trusted his brother. Well. That would have been a good time to say, "Hey, you know, slow down. Let me out of the car." Right. I mean, that would help. It would help both of them at that point. And so I try to get that point across to teenagers: Hey, making good decisions is a big part of being a safe driver. Right. So, at what point is Brakes a company in and of itself? Not just kind of a cause and a charity, but it, it literally uh, is so like your other businesses, your parts business. You know, so as it got, so as it got going, it was just basically Doug spending money on this uh, right. to get it built up and get and get it going to accomplish the goal that I wanted to accomplish, which was making sure my friends, their kids didn't get in car crashes. That's right. really where it started out. So like I said, we trained 50 families in 2008. And I kind of thought that was probably, you know, that was probably that was what I wanted to do. I trained my kids friends. Yeah, that was really my goal. Well, I had parents calling me and emailing me and writing me and saying, hey, when are you going to do another class? I never thought about that. Before. Maybe I need to do another class. So let's do another class. So uh, in 2009, we did another class. And every time I trained 50 teenagers, I had 100 families telling me, hey, we want to come and do another class. Mm -hmm. So, well, okay, maybe we need to do another class. Well, then uh, a friend of mine, uh, Dick Pacer, well, at that time, he was just my friend. He said, Doug, you've got an opportunity here. And by the way, Dick's son was killed in a car crash as a teenager. So we're in a we're in a club in a group that we don't want anybody else to be in. So he had the same. And you role. truly believe in your mission, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. And Dick kind of had the background and experience in nonprofits and uh, uh, you know directing them. Uh, his you know his daytime job was he was a CFO for Roger Penske. So right. he you know. He was a business guy, but he also understood philanthropy stuff. Right. And the cause of teenage driving was very important to him for the same reason it was to me. Was this your first dive into philanthropy where I didn't know? Really, yeah. Before that, I mean, I went to charity dinners, you know, and you donate some money or you whatever. But I didn't, I never understood. Charity. Right. This is the first time you're really grasping the impact that those, I'm sure every dollar you spent in the past, you're like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is how it's having a big impact. I, I had no idea. I mean, I knew what charity was, right? You yeah. donate, right? You donate to uh, whatever, St. Jude's, or you donate to, you know, to good, good causes, right? right. And you know, they're doing some work that's good. So you donate some money, whatever. So what kind of shocked you about that? Because it is running another business, but it is. Uh, well, so what I different. had to do, so in 2009, at, actually at the end of 2008, that was when I figured out, okay, I need to hire somebody to run this business right for i mean it was a business it was a charity but it was a business right. and, uh, just charity, like you did in your racing the charity needed to be ran like a business because i'm busy you know doing my racing doing my parts business doing my other stuff uh i needed somebody to do this so i uh, found a really talented guy that uh had um that his mother-in-law was killed by a teenage driver a distracted teenage driver so he had the right vision and uh ended up uh, really helping getting this thing going. 
and uh, I could put him with some of the other people that I knew. He had he had experience in running driving programs, which is really what we, now I kind of focused on. That was what we were going to do. We we're going to do the driving program because all of the other things that we were trying, we were doing some grief counseling, uh, we were doing some speaking events, we were doing some uh, you know safe driving, some videos, some you know some tips and so forth. The most effective thing was the behind the wheel training. Right. And this guy that I hired had a lot of experience uh, with those type of uh, you know, teaching classes, teaching behind the wheel training, whether it was racing or safety or whatever. So uh, in 2009, there you go, we started, we, we ended up uh, probably having, I guess, six weekends of programming and we trained probably about 300 kids in 2009. And now here we are 12 years later, what has it grown to in comparison? And over 50,000 families uh, all around the country in 20, I think 22 or 23 states. Um, now I have two teams that run, uh, so we have 25 vehicles per team and about basically 30 uh, contract workers, maybe two or three brakes employees that go to all these events around the country. So on any given weekend in two cities around the country, we're training drivers. And uh, it's about four to 500 families we can train on a weekend. Right. So it's a, you know, it's turned into, you know, it's turned into- Did you ever envision it would be this big? No, I had no idea. Cause that really, that wasn't my goal initially. You know, right. I had my goal. My goal was only here. I wanted to train my kids' friends. And right. then my goal changed. I want to train every kid in the world. When we all have tragedy, you know, people that lose jobs, they lose businesses, they lose spouses, family members, divorces and all of that. We do all cope with a distraction, you know, like in your case, it was this therapy that you were you're doing to help other people. Now you have this program that's a huge success. Is there a point like almost an awakening a couple years later, 10 years later that you've built this and you're half you're revisiting like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this happened. Yeah, uh, you know, and about like my racing, there's just a bunch of different things that come on along the way. I had, because uh, in, uh, I guess it was in 2009, we only had the classes here in Charlotte. The National Hot Rod Association, the sanctioning body for drag racing, uh, the president of the association called me and said, hey, Doug, the NHRA has a big problem because every time these kids are killed in a street racing accident, they call us and say, hey, what do you got to say about these kids that were drag racing and they right. got killed? And Back to that thing with my dad, right? Back in the late 40s, they took the kids off the street, put them on the racetrack. Right. That was safety. And so NHRA was having a hard time getting that message across. So uh, the NHRA asked me, hey, would you be our spokesperson for teenage driving? Because you can talk about that. You're also one of our champions. You're a winner. So you can talk to both sides from the media, from the apparent standpoint. And so then I'm the person talking to the media about these kids that were in car crashes and getting the media to realize, well, they weren't drag racing. They were street racing. That's illegal. That's right. what we want to do is take them off the street, take them to the track right. and go as fast as you can at the track. Right. But when we're on the street, we've got to teach them about being safer drivers. And that's where brakes ties into the hot rod association. So there's, so that kind of rolled around and the NHRA said, Hey, we would like to pay the cost to bring brakes out to California and have some classes. So mm -hmm. then, all of a sudden, now we're not in Charlotte anymore. We're in California. We're in Los Angeles. Right. So you know, and then one thing leads to another, and then you know, we get develop other partnerships with you know different people, and uh, 
and uh, you know continues to build up. And that's how we ended up now to train over 50,000 teenagers all around the country. One big thing though, just about like being in business uh, is recognizing when you can make a move that will help going down uh, the road in the future. So uh, one of our board members on the charity suggested that we work with uh, UNCC mm-hmm. and get UNCC to analyze our data. Because mm-hmm. uh, we were uh, we were giving questionnaires to parents when they were leaving. So we had all the, all the information from the parents and the kids, driver's license numbers, uh, you know, age, when did they take the class? We had all this data, but we, we didn't really know what we were going to do with it. Uh, I felt like what we were teaching them was really good and it was helping them, but I didn't know for sure. Right. So we asked UNCC, uh, Dr. Paul Friday over at University of North Carolina, Charlotte, hey, Dr. Friday, here's what we have. We need to analyze this data and figure out, are we collecting the right information from these families that are coming through? What do we need to do differently? And most importantly, is what we're doing, is, is the teaching that we're giving them, is it helping them? This is approximately 2015. So now we've got, you know, five, six years under our belt of teaching. He went back and analyzed five years of the driving records for these teenagers that we had trained and then took DOT statistics from teenagers in the same zip codes, the same areas. Basically, they had the same training, except they didn't have brakes. Right. Um, what he found out was unbelievable that teenage drivers that have been through brakes were 67 point or 64.7 percent less likely to be involved in a crash wow you know i would have been happy if it was one percent but knowing that we're really helping making a huge difference it was huge yeah Yeah. and i didn't know because i had people tell me while we're doing this training oh you know you're making them more aggressive because you got these racing drivers teaching these teenagers you know about how to control a skid and so the kids are out there getting more aggressive well, I, so I was a little bit worried right. that this report it, it might, it might come your, back and yeah. it might say, hey, you know, the kids that you've trained are, are getting into more crashes. Right. At that point, we'd have had to either stopped or change what we were training or something. But you cared enough to at least find out that answer. I rather, yeah, yeah I, I had to know. Is what we're teaching them good or not? And if it's not, then we got to change what we're doing. At that first time I went and met the kids at the class, uh, my boy's friends, uh, I asked him, I said, guys, I need your help coming up with a name for this charity organization that we're going to put together here mm-hmm. in memory of John and James. And so those kids took that, uh, they took that challenge on. When I went back the next week to talk to the kids again, they said, hey, Mr. Herbert, we came up with a name for, uh, the, for the charity. Really, what do you come up with? Breaks. And I go, breaks, okay. And I'm trying to think about that. All right, well, that's good. You know, brakes slows you down and all that. Oh, but it's an acronym. Be responsible and keep everyone safe. And I was like, wow. That, so, the, so there's really a lot of meaning in brakes and what yes. we do because that actually was came from the kids, came from my boy's friends. So. Looking at your, your business background, uh, all the way back to boating, <laughs> into, the, into brakes, what is kind of that, I'm gonna call it stumbling or, oh man, I wish I would have known that moment of running a charitable organization that you wish you would have known. Oh boy, that's a hard one. I don't know, you know, I'm not so sure to be honest that if I hadn't have been thrown in a position to develop this breaks program that I would have uh, ever have the understanding that I have about charities and how they work. You know, I've been lucky enough to um, to now 
know some people that have really been uh, that have really done a good job educating me on a good charity and what good charities do uh, and how they're ran. Uh, you know, like I said, uh, Dick Pacer starting there, Rick Hendrick, uh, Felix Abadis. I mean, they understand charities and how to make these charities make an impact and how the money has to be spent in order to make the most impact and to make sure that donors feel comfortable right. with with giving money to a charity knowing that it's not going to some ceo that's making a million dollars or whatever that it's actually going to help kids right so that is uh i don't know that i that i would have ever learned as much about it as i know if I hadn't have had to do it, I just, it was, a, it was, a, it was just a goal, uh, you know, it was something that thrown, it was, that was thrown right. at me that I had to learn about. And I think that, uh, I don't know that I ever would have learned it, to be honest with you. And probably from your previous experience, probably even mistakes made in the past, you knew at this point, the things I don't know, I need to bring in the right people. That's exactly right. That was yeah. the key. So at the end of the day, the key is having, surrounding yourself with the right people and making sure the people that are surround, surrounding you understand the goal. What is our goal here and what is our vision and how are we going to get there? And, you know, it's not going to be a straight line. There's going to be changes. We're going to have to adapt to, you know, rules and regulations right over this past year. How was breaks going to keep training teenagers with a pandemic? You know, right. what are we going to do? We've got to change the way that we're doing it or we can't hold classes anymore. Okay. So we've got, you know, split up classes, uh, you know, one on one training instead of three or four kids in a car. So different things have changed because you've got to adapt to uh, I think that's actually that's probably the best advice that I got and I didn't know how valuable it was uh, when I got the advice but you can't stay the same you've right. always got to be changing because if you're going to continue to stay the same somebody else is going to figure out what you're doing and figure out how to do it better yeah. so you've always got to be changing you've always got to be adapting you always got to be figuring out how to do better how to be more efficient uh, and how to, you know, basically how to get the job done better. Well, thank you so much for being here. You. Yeah. So, well, I, you know, I can talk. We can talk for a long time more if you want. You know? Yeah. So, no, I, I honestly, I have a million other questions. I, I, I actually, I didn't want to ask you. I didn't know. So, uh, are you? Thanks for watching. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash nexigeeducation or visit casmoreward.com to catch up on previous episodes. And be on the lookout for our next episode featuring Meggie Williams, the owner and founder of Skiptown, a doggy daycare and bar in Charlotte, North Carolina.